Welcome to the definitive how-to for the modern woman. More than a podcast, a community where my guests and I are unveiling the issues and challenging the norms of being a modern woman. Together, we explore and publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. No topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions that most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together. So, are you in? Oh my god, hi guys. Oh, how I've missed all my modern women. Welcome back to the launch of season three. I actually cannot believe this is our third season together. There are so many topics that I can't wait to explore with you and some really exciting guest speakers coming up. I'm also super, super excited to share with you today that I'll be launching the Single at 30 website in the next couple of weeks. Please make sure to check it out and sign up to the monthly manual, which will be launching at the end of November. So just like the last season, this topic today is one that you voted in, and I think it's one that every single one of us has either experienced or witnessed at some stage in our lives. Like, have you ever seen a friend or loved one in a relationship that was clearly toxic and wondered why they didn't just leave? Or have you ever been in a toxic relationship that you can't or maybe even don't want to break free from? In this episode, we're going to explore some of the reasons why we find ourselves in these relationships and how we can identify the difference between a healthy relationship from an unhealthy relationship. I just want to be clear here that I myself have been the toxic one in a relationship before, so much so that after one significant relationship, I was like, okay, I need to be single for a while to sort my head out because what went on there was not cute. But on top of that, I've also experienced endless toxic partners. So researching this app was actually super confronting for me as I recounted all of those scenarios in my head. But I think it's important to create a dialogue about this because without understanding what is actually taking place, you aren't able to change for the better. And this is why so many of us get caught up in toxic cycles with our romantic partners completely unaware that they're able to be broken. So I'm a firm believer that you attract certain partners in your life for a reason, whether it be because of your perceived sense of self-worth or simply because like attracts like. I know this can be a hard pill to swallow, but literally every partner I have ever had has been a perfect manifestation of my psychology at the time. And the thing is, that's not necessarily a bad thing because our partners and our relationships are often our best teachers in the sense that they either mirror what's going on inside us or oftentimes point out our flaws, as hard as that can be for us to hear. So let's unpack this a bit. If you answered yes to either of the questions before, you may find that these people and maybe even you yourself are mistaking attachment for love or are caught up in a trauma bond of some sort. So what do I mean by this? Let's start with this concept of attachment. What is the difference between being attached and being in love? I really believe so many of us mistake attachment for love either at some point in our lives or sadly for some, they never learn the difference. The major difference is that genuine, authentic and healthy love is selfless, while attachment is selfish. In simple terms, it looks like this. Genuine love is, I love you, therefore I want to make you happy. If that includes me, yay, great. If it doesn't include me, that's also fine because I want what's best for you. Whereas attachment, on the other hand, is not as cute. Attachment is, I love you, therefore I want you to make me happy. Basically, it's more about love of oneself than love of the other person. But to break it down some more, here are some simple ways to identify the difference. Being in love is about mutual connection, whereas being attached is about dependency. 
Authentic love is liberating, whereas attachment is controlling. It has nothing to do with caring about what's best for your partner and more to do with what they can do or provide for you. But the catch is attachment is usually based on fear and often causes us a lot of pain. Try as we might, we simply cannot fulfill ourselves through other people. A truly healthy relationship is one where two people come together already feeling fulfilled themselves. This is why the whole saying, you complete me, is flawed, because you should never seek out someone to complete you. What you want to find is someone who complements your true self and someone you can continue to grow into the best version of yourself with. Now, of course, a certain amount of emotional attachment is a totally normal part of development. But the ideal is when you want to be with one another, but your life doesn't actually depend on the other person's presence being in it. You want to know that you can turn to one another for support, but that you don't rely solely on one another. But attachment can become toxic when we rely too much on the other person to satisfy our emotional needs. When we are in love, we are more inclined to either put our partner's needs before our own or at the very least to think of those needs as equal. When we're attached, though, we hold the other person responsible for fulfilling our needs. We look to our partner to, on some level, make us feel whole. This, ladies, is a big no-no and can often turn what should be mutual connection into obsession. And this is when it gets toxic, right? The more obsessed we become, the more fearful we are of losing them. The more we associate our happiness with that other person, the more clingy and needy we become. And the irony is the more dependent you become on that person, the more you lose yourself in the relationship. And the clingier you become, the more you actually often end up pushing them away. So, are you in love or are you attached? If you're finding that you're in a relationship that is founded more on attachment than love, ask yourself why. Like I said earlier, each one of our relationships serve to reveal our own psychological states and evolution as well as our mental wellness. And we will continue to repeat in our relationships what we don't repair within ourselves. It's as simple as that. And this is where trauma bonds come into it. Feelings of attachment and dependence can contribute to a trauma bond. Dr. Nicole LaPera, also known as the holistic psychologist on Instagram, dedicates an entire chapter to trauma bonding in her book, How to Do the Work. And I highly recommend it, although when I read it, I was like, oh, great, every form of trauma applies to me. So guys, please be warned, it can be quite confronting, although equally insightful. So what is trauma bonding? For the purpose of this particular episode, I won't be talking about the sort of extreme trauma bonds which occur in situations that include things like domestic violence or incestuous relationships or kidnappings, although the sort of trauma bonding I will explore still does include abusive traits. According to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, trauma bonds are the result of an unhealthy attachment. But there's actually a bit of science behind it. As we all know, attachment plays a super important role in human connection. All children have physical and emotional needs, and we turn to our parent figures to get those needs met. This is because, biologically speaking, we depend on these figures for survival. And our dependency on other people to survive and thrive doesn't end in childhood. But the type of bonds we formed as children serve to guide and shape the attachment styles we have later in life as we seek out adult relationships that mirror the ones we had growing up. What this means is that in essence, trauma bonds are often learned and conditioned in childhood and then repeated in our adult relationships. While trauma bonds are most obvious in our romantic relationships, they can actually also take place between friends, family and work colleagues. In her book, Dr. Nicole LaPera says, trauma bonds are the results of relationship dynamics that are rooted in stories about ourselves, created in childhood and manifested in our adult relationships. They are extensions of how we adapted or coped in the absence of having an intrinsic need met. 
Basically, the way we adapted or coped helped us navigate and even survive the relationship with our parent figures. And the idea is that you will then seek the same familiar bonds later in life. For example, if you had an abusive parent who made you feel like you weren't worthy of being loved, the idea is that you will seek out the same sort of traumatic bonds in adulthood. Likewise, if you had a parent who was emotionally inconsistent or unreliable, you might find the same patterns in a romantic partner. This is because you might come to unconsciously associate these behaviors with love and gravitate towards familiar cycles of stress or sometimes downright neglect. Whereas, as we know from a previous app, if you're one of the lucky ones who had loving and supportive parent figures, you're more likely to have a secure attachment style and also loving and supportive bonds in adulthood. Looking back, it's seriously no wonder why someone like myself who was born into a very stressful, very chaotic, and oftentimes neglectful and abusive environment went on to seek out and repeat those very same dynamics as an adult. When I really sit back and think about it, I don't think that any of my previous relationships were founded on true love. I've been infatuated before, and I've been in lust before, but I don't think I've ever experienced in any of my previous relationships what it's like to be in love. Rather, I think I've been conditioned to associate certain patterns of behavior and the intense emotions of a trauma bond with the experience of what we call love. And what's so fascinating is how addictive these heightened emotional states can actually be as they mirror the type of childhoods we had. For example, as someone with abandonment wounds, I would often mistake when my romantic partners would make me feel desperate, fearful, or needy with chemistry. Also, just thinking back to the amount of times I put up with partners who were so uncertain toward me in their behavior or verbally put me down or were physically aggressive with me because I was used to that sort of treatment growing up seriously saddens me and could have easily been prevented had I known about what we're discussing today sooner. And instead of questioning my self-worth or becoming an emotional wreck or even begging for the bare minimum, I would have been able to recognize the patterns that were taking place and realize when to walk away. So when you're wondering why your friend is stuck in a toxic relationship, this could be why. As Dr. Nicole LaPera says, one can only feel as connected to others as they are to themselves. For people who have experienced trauma, like myself, it's easy to confuse these activated feelings for authentic connection or love. And like I said before, what is often thought to be sexual attraction or chemistry is often just the same wounds being triggered or activated again which explains why so often we can find, for lack of a better word, assholes attractive. If they are reaffirming something you experienced in your childhood, regardless of whether you can intellectually or objectively recognize they're an asshole, it's still going to activate something inside you that will cause you to then mistake their behavior for connection. And the worst part is, this traumatic bonding is addictive and causes us to find ourselves in the same relationship dynamics over and over again. And what happens then when the nice guy who treats us well comes along? We claim they're too boring or vanilla for us because they don't trigger us in any way. They don't reaffirm the trauma wounds we have from our childhoods. A safe relationship doesn't pose any threat, so we don't feel that false sense of chemistry, that rush that is actually just a physiological roller coaster mirroring the same conditioned dynamics of our childhood. What's important, but also equally difficult, is to not confuse the level of reaction with the depth of connection we have with that person. Like the Buddhists supposedly say, if you meet somebody and your heart pounds, your hands shake, your knees go weak, that's not the one. When you meet your soulmate, you'll feel calm, no anxiety, no agitation. And that's because that anxiety and agitation, as we now know, is just our trauma wounds being activated. What this all means is that, number one, the people we choose to love are never, ever random. Our upbringing very much determines who we pick and the types of behaviors we choose to model and seek out in our partners. 
Number two, the key is to replace these patterns with authentic connection. Also, if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, oh wow, I had no idea how messed up I really was or how messed up that person I dated really was. But here's the thing. It's important to mention that you have literally been conditioned to experience these feelings of attachment, dependence, and trauma throughout your childhood. The trick is to consciously identify the signs and reprogram your response to them. This is not easy and took me years and years to do, and even now is still very much at times a work in progress, perhaps even a lifelong journey. For instance, some of the trauma bond archetypes that begin in your childhood that Dr. Nicole LaPera lists in her book include things like having a parent who denies your reality. This is basically the type of parent-child relationship where the parent tells a child what they are thinking, feeling, or experiencing is not valid. This often causes the child to grow up into being conflict-avoidant people-pleasers, where they suppress their own feelings or prioritize the needs of everyone around them over their own, especially the people they're in a relationship with. Another trauma bond archetype includes having a parent who does not see or hear you. So basically, these children adapt or tone down or overcompensate in order to receive any form of acknowledgement or recognition. And then these people with this type of wound often end up in romantic relationships with people who either cancel them out with their larger-than-life personalities or, if you're like me, date narcissists who don't even care to find out about them and make them feel small or invisible. The next one is having a parent who lives vicariously through you or molds and shapes you. When I read about this one, it made me think about the father-son relationship in Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I don't want to give the ending away, but the father of the boy, who is called Neil Perry, very much wanted the son to pursue an academic path and attend one of the Ivy League universities, but the son wanted to be an actor. And the movie illustrates the profound and damaging impact having a parent who expresses their preferences about how a child should or should not behave or live their lives can have on that child. Often, it manifests itself in the child constantly seeking external guidance or, in other cases, seeking external validation. For instance, the type of person who has a billion accolades, degrees, etc., etc. Another trauma bond archetype listed in the book includes having a parent who does not model boundaries. I grew up in an environment with very few boundaries, and because of it, I lived in a constant state of anxiety and felt like I didn't have a safe space with clear limits. This can cause people to later compromise their own needs in a relationship and feel like they're being taken advantage of or not appreciated. Then there's the archetype which involves having a parent who is overly focused on appearance. We've seen it in the movies, right? Or with certain friends or maybe even experienced it ourselves. They're the type of parents who make comments about things like the way we dress or our weight or our choice in hairstyle, etc., etc. This is extremely detrimental to our self-esteem for a number of reasons because not only do we start to externalize our self-worth based on the way we look, but it can influence the narrative of how we speak to ourselves about our bodies. It can also cause us to compare ourselves to those around us and also force us into trying to appear perfect for everyone around us. And the last one is having a parent who cannot regulate their emotions. As someone who grew up in quite an explosive environment, this one speaks to me, especially because we often go on to model the behaviors of our parents. So if you have a parent who explodes or withdraws, you might end up being extremely reactive or detached, even to the point where you try to numb yourself with external aids such as drugs, alcohol, sex, etc., to stop yourself from feeling certain emotions. It's interesting because when you delve into the psychology behind these behaviors, it's really hard to not empathize with why people behave the way they do or why people so often mistake attachment and trauma bonds for love. So how else do you know when you're mistaking attachment for love? Well, you might feel nervous and upset when you're not with your partner. 
We've all either witnessed or been guilty of sending endless messages or making numerous calls to our partners when they're not with us. Sometimes, if they're lucky, even 50 in a row. And even though we know we're being crazy in that moment, whatever is triggering us at that time supersedes our sanity. But this is not healthy behavior. In fact, it's far from it. We also know the type that bases their entire schedule around their partner. In a loving relationship, both partners should empower each other and feel a healthy sense of freedom. You don't ever want to feel trapped. Another example is when you don't know how to function without your partner. Depending on someone else to meet your needs often means you have trouble meeting them on your own. If the relationship doesn't work out, you might feel completely at a loss. The key is to have a relationship that is balanced and interdependent. Interdependent partners can fulfill many of their own emotional needs, but they also feel comfortable turning to each other when in need of support. Another example is when your partner dictates your entire mood. Don't get me wrong, if your partner says something hurtful or does something offensive, it sucks. But when you have a healthy attachment and a strong sense of self-worth, you don't let it affect you at your core. Unhealthy attachment occurs when you solely rely on a relationship to dictate your happiness. This, of course, is detrimental because you're giving your personal power away. Lastly, another example is when you seek out relationships so you don't feel alone. Never being able to be alone and continuing to jump into new relationships is a sign of an unhealthy emotional attachment. When you don't allow the time and space to build a relationship with yourself, you become codependent on others to get your needs met. You are also a lot more likely to settle for relationships that do not complement you and your life in fear of having to be single and face yourself and your wounds. So how do we break off an unhealthy attachment? We all know that problems often arise in relationships once the sex-infused honeymoon period comes to an end. I think for many of us, it's either around the one- or three-year itch. Once we get the itch, we often complain of boredom or begin to pick at our partner's so-called flaws. This is because many of us are conditioned to associate love with that electric feeling, which as we now know, is usually just lust or a trauma response. But the problem is we feel empty and restless without it. Like I said before about my own journey, these sort of autopilot patterns of behavior that take place in the form of unhealthy attachments and trauma bonding are a process that has to be unlearned. Even if the perfect partner were to present themselves, like the nice guy we were talking about earlier, you would still feel like there was something lacking, and that something is what we would describe as connection. Contrary to popular opinion, though, breaking up with your partner is not always the answer. The best thing we can do in situations like this is to become aware of our unconscious trauma bond patterns. We all have them. I don't believe a single person comes out of their childhood unscathed. These trauma bonds are teaching us something about ourselves, and once we become aware of these relationship patterns, we can begin to change them. That being said, sometimes it's best to walk away from unhealthy emotional attachments when you're in a relationship with someone who is exhibiting toxic traits and who is not as committed as you are to working on themselves. But I am fully aware that, like I just said, the fear of being alone can scare most of us into clinging on to the wrong relationships. The fear of having to face our own trauma has the same effect too. It's always important to ask yourself, what is keeping you attached to the relationship? This can be scary as fuck though. Maybe you'll feel like you won't find somebody else. Or maybe you'll continue to think back over the good times in the relationship and tell yourself that things will go back to how they were in the beginning. The worst is when we fall into the habit of sleeping with the ex. I like to call this the black hole of death. Or when you do finally work up the courage to end the relationship, you might start to beat yourself up for not having done it sooner. Questions like, what was I thinking? Why didn't I see the signs? How could I have ended up with someone like that? 
In moments like this, it's important to forgive yourself. This doesn't mean living in the past and repeating the same stories over and over again, which I have been guilty of doing countless times, but rather recognizing that the relationship was important to your personal growth and using it as an opportunity to learn from. But how do we stop mistaking attachment for love? This part isn't always so easy. First of all, I think we need to change the idea we have of what healthy, authentic love is. Despite what rom-coms tell us, authentic love doesn't always feel like this big, overpowering force that sweeps you off your feet. It shouldn't ever feel like an emotional roller coaster filled with anxiety and fear, or a hit of heroin leaving you constantly in need of more in order to feel secure or supported. Instead, it should feel calming and safe. A healthy relationship takes place when you don't have to hide parts of yourself or pretend to be anyone you're not. You both give each other the space to feel seen and heard and to consciously grow together while pursuing your individual dreams. We can't keep looking to our relationships to fill the voids or heal the wounds from our childhood. Your partner is not supposed to fix you, nor are they your property. Also, remember to pace yourself. Don't rush the healing process. Results aren't always immediate. Growth is a process and emotional relapses are very much part of that process. Likewise, take time to look inward and self-reflect. Work on rebuilding your relationship with yourself. We need to identify the relationship patterns we learn through our experiences in our childhood. If you don't change them, you'll continue to repeat the cycle. Things like breathwork and meditation are great ways to separate yourself from your programming. A form of breathwork that I love is when you breathe in for six, hold for 12, and breathe out for six. Like I always say, I meditate to elevate. Journaling is also a great form of therapy, as is listening to music, walking, and of course there is always the option to hire a therapist or a coach to work through your trauma and on improving yourself. I personally have three different coaches and a kinesiologist I call upon and cannot recommend more the benefits of having the same sort of support network. But above all, in order to stop mistaking attachment for love, please understand that love should not hurt, it should not be stressful, and it should not feel like hard work. The only thing you should be working on is yourself. Thank you so much for listening to this Single at 30 solo episode, How to Stop Mistaking Attachment for Love. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. If you have any questions, feedback, or even an episode idea, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30 or join the Single at 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. As always, no topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.